Well, let's start this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you, and God, that uh, the sun is still shining. Even in the evening, Lord, we just thank you so much for that. God, we thank you that in you, Lord, there is hope. God, that there is blessing. And God, there is your promise which we can count on. Lord, be with us today, Lord, as we talk about mourning. And we talk about, yes, God, the times of pain, but also, Lord, your restoration that you give. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your Son. Amen. Amen. Something that uh, I started contemplating at a young age, and now I contemplate it more and more, is this quite simple fact. Behold, the happiest starting to a sermon ever, one day we're all going to die. <laughs> well, for those of us in Christ, it absolutely will be. But all of us will die someday, unless Christ comes again. But that fact doesn't necessarily make it easier when we have to face our own death or the death of someone that we love very much, does it? So what do you do in the face of death? What do you do when you lose someone that is near and dear to you? What do you do when the grief of loss seems overwhelming, debilitating even? Well, today we're going to return to our work through the book of Genesis. And I want you to turn with me, this is where we left off last time, to Genesis 23. And we're going to be talking about the burial of Sarah. And what we learn about mourning and the comfort we can take in our Lord in that. So we're going to be working through this piecemeal this evening, uh, starting Genesis 23 with the first two verses. Genesis 23, 1 and 2. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Araba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now that is, he mourned and wailed with loud cries. That's what the Hebrew indicates. This isn't a case of silent sorrow. It's not a case of, of Abraham being alone in a room and, and just quietly tucking it all in. No, these were loud and boisterous wails. It's an expression of, open grief from a man who was hurting very deeply. And we see this throughout the Old Testament of those that wail and mourn and put on sackcloth or even tear their clothing as they weep. Here it is Abraham. And after all, he and Sarah, they had celebrated more than a hundred wedding anniversaries together. They had experienced the ups and downs of life together. They moved across the desert together to a land flowing with milk and honey. There in that strange land, Abraham nearly lost his wife several times to pagan kings, and he would get her back. They knew the pain of barrenness and the sheer joy of a miraculous birth. They had experienced a rich and full life together, and now the love of his life. A hundred years. Gone. Abraham hurt deeply over his loss. And he can't help but weep and wail with loud cries as he expresses the agony of his soul. 
You see, it's okay for a person of faith to wail over the loss of someone that they love. His faith allows him to feel his pain deeply and trust in the Lord to see him through it. And too often in today's culture, many people are afraid to face this pain, though it is necessary and even vital in the healing process. And instead, what we see in our cultures may try to mask it, or they try to move on like nothing ever really happened. But in truth, they're bleeding on the inside because the pain of loss has to go somewhere. John, and James, uh, John James and Frank Cherry in their book called Grief Recovery trace the story of a boy named Johnny. And by the end of the story, I didn't want to go through in too much detail because it would just take too much time. By the end of the story, Johnny ends up losing several precious people in his life. And what he has learned from the examples of those around him from society is he has taught the lessons to bury your feelings, replace your losses, grieve alone, merely just let time heal, live with the regret, and then never trust others again, never open yourself up. And that is not what God calls us to do when it comes to the time of mourning. That is not how we are to deal with loss. We're to deal with loss in a way which acknowledges and relies upon the Lord. And the Lord allows us to, yes, weep and wail. But like Abraham and many others in Scripture, they hurt deeply when someone they love dies. People of faith need to know this, that it is good. It is good to mourn. They should not be afraid to cry and even weep and wail if need be. It's not a sign of weakness. On the contrary, it is a sign of great strength. So yes, if there is loss in your life or you experience loss, yes, go ahead and yes, hurt. It is okay to hurt when you lose someone that you love. Jesus himself demonstrated the way to handle grief at Lazarus' tomb. When Lazarus' sisters brought Jesus to the tomb in John 11.35, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, it simply says, Jesus wept. And then Jesus also expressed anger just before he wept, that we forget. According to John's account, chapters 11, 33, and 38, we said Jesus expressed furious indignation even at the presence of death. And even though he was God in the flesh, even though he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus allowed himself to feel the pain of loss of a very dear friend. Os Guinness says that in Jesus' humanity, we see God's perspective of our pain. The beautiful world God created is now broken and in ruins. And Jesus will heal this broken world and our broken lives. But first, he came to earth in order to identify with our anguish. It is okay to weep. Don't be afraid of anger. Just do not sin in your anger. Don't be afraid to feel the whole gambit of emotions when you lose someone you love. And it's God's way to help, yes, heal and work through that pain. What do you do when you've lost someone that you've dearly loved? Well, first you hurt. Then after the hurt, there's then hope. Yes, hope. Hope. What is hope? Hope is the faith in the unseen and, and even the hope in, yes, 
a brighter day, a brighter day, a brighter future. You anticipate a better day ahead or you hope for a better day ahead. And that's what Abraham did after he lost his wife. He went ahead and yes, he bought her a grave. Where did he buy the grave? He bought a grave in the promised land that he did not yet have. Not in the land of their birth. He bought it in the land that would one day be for him and his entire people. It was an act of hope. It was an act of faith. In Genesis 23, verses 3 through 11, please follow along. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a Sioner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you this tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now this is kind of interesting that I learned was that when Ephron offered to give the cave and the field to Abraham, he actually did not mean it was free. This is called a typical Bedouin. That's the name of the, the, the general overlying culture. They're the Bedouin bargaining. They're about to bargain over this land. Henry Moore says, These were merely the opening gestures of politeness which they expected no one to take seriously. Similar to how sometimes you say, hey, how you doing today? Too often we get in the habit of just saying, oh, doing well, and then you move on. We, a lot of times we don't expect people to start a conversation, even though we should be expecting a conversation, just so you know. But it's, kind of, it's very similar in that way. Ephron is simply letting Abraham know that he is willing to sell what Abraham wants, and negotiations are open. Uh, Let's take it up from verse 12. He says, Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. So, Ephron's opening asking price. He's asking for 400 shekels, that is 10 pounds of silver. And in typical Bedouin bargaining, the seller starts at a price that is way too high, much higher than what the land is worth. The buyer then offers something much lower, and then they work their way somewhere in the middle. This is like selling your used car. I sell my car for $12,000, totally anticipating that I'm going to bring it down probably closer to 10. 
At least that's what I tried to do with my Grand Prix. And then just as they test drove it, the uh, check engine light popped on as they were test driving it. The sale did not go through because of that. Which actually worked out fine because then it went to my brother-in-law. And he never had issues with it. So that was great. So, but they're bargaining. They go back and forth. And eventually they agree on a price somewhere in the middle. And this is what is typically done. But we need to look at what Abraham does next. Verse 16, he says, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. Wait, what was that? Abraham, even though they finished all these negotiations and they found a middle point for the price, Abraham actually chooses to accept Ephron's original asking price. He was paying $13,000 for my Grand Prix instead of the 10. He, was, he went for the original asking price. He pays a whole lot more for the field and the cave than it is actually worth. That's crazy. Why? That doesn't seem like smart business. It's because Abraham has hope. It's because Abraham knows that one day his descendants will own all that land someday. And God had promised it to him. And 10 pounds of silver is nothing compared to what his family would eventually get for it. So it was a testament, even in the bearing of his wife. It was a testament to him honoring and remembering the Lord's promises. It wasn't a gesture of saying, oh, this is Tippins, throw pennies in the bucket. Yes, I'll pay the higher price. No, it wasn't a case of that. It was... This will be mine one day anyways. And the Lord has promised, and the Lord will be faithful. Take this money. Abraham is looking beyond just the grave. He is thinking big picture. He is thinking God-focused, God-promised. He has a hope beyond his loss that far outweighs anything he ever gave up. Now, does that diminish the hurt? No, the hurt is still there, but it does help Abraham to move forward because he's moving forward in the Lord's promises. Yes, he hurts, but he is moving forward in the Lord. God's promises still remain even when we're hurting. Who God is still remains Even when we're in the dark places. He is still the Lord of life. He is still the Lord of light. He is still the Lord eternal. Even when we are hurting. The Lord remains. Abraham looked forward to the better days. In the promises of the Lord. So we don't lose hope. Because the truth is God has promised. Yes. Every believer a glorious future because we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ again. The future is better than the present for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And we can count on that. God's promise to us all, not only in his coming, but even in our death, everlasting life in heaven. You've heard this quoted a million times. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Excuse me. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So yes, when you experience loss, 
Hold on to that hope, that hope in Christ that still remains. Our ultimate hope, yes, is in the resurrection and the coming of Christ. And be reminded that life in Christ is stronger than death. Light is more powerful than darkness, and God is more powerful than Satan. The good of our God will always, always, always overcome evil, and we who put our hope in Him will triumph someday in some way. So when you experience a loss, go ahead. Yes, hurt. Yes, don't be afraid to experience this pain. But in that pain, put your hope in the Lord, even in the midst of it. Wait on the Lord in your pain and then inherit his blessings. In the place of pain, yes, experience the fulfillment of God's promises. In the place of loss, realize that there is still the greatest gain. This is what we see from Abraham. Only after Sarah died did he begin to even see some of the promise of God fulfilled. Genesis 23, verse 17, on to verse 20. It says, So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, uh, which was to the east of Mamre, the field which the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. Before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So a conclusion of a transaction might seem fairly ordinary or or like a receipt, but there's more to it. Up until this time, Abraham didn't own one square inch of the land that God had promised him. Now, he begins to possess the very first piece of God's promise. The death of his wife led to this first piece of God's promise fulfilled. Some of it actually becomes his property. And in the place of death, yes, he finds life. In the place of pain, he finds a fulfillment of God's promise. In the place of loss, he finds gain. And what's, what happens to those who put their hope in the Lord? Even when they lose, when we are in the Lord, we win. Jesus said we are to have faith like that of a child. And God can resurrect even those which we believe can't be resurrected. Yet God is always there. God is always working to fulfill his promises, even in the darkness of our pain. So yes, go ahead and hurt when we experience loss. Don't be afraid to feel pain. But in that pain, put your hope in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust in them and then inherit his blessings. From the place of loss, you will realize your greatest gain, not in you, but in him. I have a great aunt that has served as a missionary in China. And when she lived in the States, just before that, she saw the death of her husband due to Hodgkin's lymphoma. Her baby boy died of cancer. And then the last of her oldest two children died in an icy car wreck all here in Michigan. Then during her time serving in China, she was raped. And in her book about all of these experiences, it was Christ that ultimately brought hope and blessing in her life. 
And uh, I wanted to read for you a challenging portion of uh, her book that she had written for, for our family. Um, it is not, it, 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 to be honest, it is a little bit graphic. Um, but when I took it and I was pondering if I should read the whole thing, I opened it up and it took me right to the page where it started. And I felt like God was saying, no, it's okay. Read it. So, um, I'd like to read for you a portion of Another Valley, Another Victory, Another Love by Valetta Steele Crumley, uh, edited by Ed Ernie, who is now her, her husband. So, in March of 1990, I had returned to Taiwan after six weeks of ministry in the U.S. I was eager to join in the training of over a hundred young collegians coming to Taiwan in June when Western youth were teamed up with Asian youth to take the gospel to seven nations in the Orient. The night as I headed across the seminary campus to my house, I hardly could have imagined the dark and awful tragedy about to engulf me. Gorgeous blossoms of, of peak uh, bougainvillea covered the long open front porch of my home. And entering the kitchen, I noticed a shadow dart across the wall. Peering into the laundry, I saw a human figure slightly stooped. Was the person ill? Was he or she a Bible school student or a friend of one of my housemates? Three short-termers, April Armstrong, Karen Kwong, and Carol Wagner, lived with me in the old three-bedroom house. Only a few minutes ago, it seemed they had grabbed their lesson plans and hurried off to their English Bible classes. Why are you here? Are you okay? I called out. Suddenly a man in a jogging suit lunged towards me, grabbed my wrist, and at the same time turned out the lights. Desperately trying to collect my wits, I cried out in Chinese, Jesus loves you and I am praying for you. Despite my struggles, the man pulled me into the bedroom, and when I screamed, he flung me to the floor and shoved a pillow over my face. With a surge of terror, I realized both his intentions and my utter helplessness. All I could do was remind the Lord that my body belonged to him, and the intruder then raped me and left me alone in the still darkened room. Trembling, I hurried to my missionary neighbors, the Bettingers, who called our Chinese co-worker Daniel Chang, and the police were notified. As dozens of uniformed officers descended on our campus, Daniel characteristically seized the opportunity to share a Christian witness and a track with each one. And God gave me special strength as I described the incident and went to the hospital for an examination. Though I thought it unlikely that my attacker would be apprehended, I agreed to press charges if the, culprits, if the culprit were found. In the days that followed, Satan assailed my mind. Was the Lord powerless? Could it be that he had some purpose in allowing this nightmare? As I pondered the scriptures, the Lord took away my confusion and filled my heart with peace. I was grateful the younger women were unharmed. Covered by his blood, I was assured that I was still pure before him and that his loathsome crucible experience would be used to prepare me for his work in some new way. By the way, my great aunt is an incredible woman, if you've ever met her. She still does ministry in, in, in Florida today. The next Sunday morning, in my devotional study, 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11, seemed just for me. I think you ought to know about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would not live through it. 
We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us. And he did save us from a terrible death. Yes, and we expect him to do it again and again. But you must help us too. By praying for us, for much thanks and praise, we'll go to God from you, who see his wonderful answer to your prayers for our safety. I began thanking the Lord for saving my life. And later I learned that my assailant was a violent man who had even committed murder. As I prayed, the Lord encouraged me to share the experience openly and seek prayer not only for myself, but also for our planned evangelistic outreach and the protection of all of our workers. That morning after I prayed for ways to be a witness, a group from the police station came to bring flowers and fruit. Grateful that my first testimony book was available in Chinese, I gave copies to the police chief. As I shared my ordeal with my entire Taiwan missionary family, God came into our midst, releasing tears and prayers and binding us closer than ever. Telling the Chinese staff, however, was harder. Not wanting them to lose face, I assured them that this violent act could have happened just as easily in America as in Taiwan. And they too wept as God melted us together, giving new unity and purpose. Our ladies' Bible class interpreter, Judy Lee, came to pray with me. And should I tell her? Would she think God had failed me or, or would she accept it by faith? How my heart rejoiced when she said, Romans 12.1 states that we are not present, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifice. And many young women in your Bible classes have experienced abuse and their hearts are bound by unforgiveness and anger. And possibly the Lord wants to deepen your ministry to these young women. I thought, too, of a possible ministry to the most abused of women, the prostitutes in Taiwan, who number, who number several hundred thousand. The response of my sister, Lee Olam, her husband was my dentist as a kid. A missionary nurse in Haiti brought precious consolation my prayer for you and for me is that the devil receive no glory and that fear will not linger in your heart and mind. In the Old Testament, Hannah said, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This is 1 Samuel 1.16. In answer to a cry, God gave her the miracle birth of Samuel. Perhaps it takes anguish and grief sometimes to birth the miracle so desperately needed in the world today. Already God had revealed portions of his purpose in allowing my traumatic experience. The accused rapist, thief, and murderer was actually apprehended. A man created in God's image, but now bound by Satan's illusions. From a dysfunctional family, divorced father of a young son, he said, a spirit came over him whenever he saw pornography. And divine grace enabled me to join my friend Daniel to visit him on death row. And he said, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Daniel had asked him. The man said, no, I will go to hell. Daniel asked then, if you wanted to go to heaven, what would you do? And when he replied that he didn't know, Daniel shared the good news and gave him a Bible, as well as our Bible correspondence course. Beyond protecting me from death and disease, God granted the miracle of a forgiving heart. I praise him for Calvary and his example for forgiving those who crucified him. 
He also provided loving friends and counselors who listened. The shame no longer remains because my body is his possession. And now he continues to provide opportunities for giving hope to the brokenhearted so they too will prayerfully seek to be used of God to heal others. Our mission team, though deeply shaken by the incident, continued all their summer ministries with zeal, living on our knees and taking God's full armor, Ephesians 6, 11 through 16. We sought tools for spiritual warfare. As our team met together, we focused on some of the following. We focused on a pure heart, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God's wisdom, God's protection, a grateful heart, a generous heart. Realizing that because of our strong commitment to evangelism and church planning, we are under severe attack by Satan. And we affirmed our victory according to Revelations 12, 11. They defeated him, that is Satan, by the blood of the land and by their testimony. For they did not love their lives, but laid them down for Christ. Yes, we will feel pain and mourning at loss. But my dear friends, the answer, yes, to pain is Jesus who died for your sins and rose again. And if whether in person or those that may be listening to the podcast, I urge you to put your trust in him. And so experience deliverance, not from your pain, but deliverance through your pain by Christ into that day of his hope and his joy and his victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. God, that even in the darkness, there remains hope in you, that there is life in you, Lord, that there is light that is never ceasing in you. God, help us never to forget this truth. God, I pray that your truth and your words, God, inscribe deeply upon our hearts, that even in these moments, God, that we will call out to you and cry out to you, Lord, for help and your light and your life and your hope. We love you and we praise you, our dear Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. God bless. Y'all have a good night.